Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. A couple of months ago, someone reached out to me via email and told me that he was a Canadian law student in Israel for a few months, clerking at Israel's Supreme Court, and perhaps we could get together and chat. And I was actually amused a little bit and enchanted and curious. Um, a student clerking at the court, because here in Israel it's graduates of law school who clerk at the court, and um, I wasn't actually aware that there were non-Israelis clerking at the court. So we got together, and uh, Matthew Cohn is a fascinating young law student from Toronto who's had a really extraordinary experience at the court, and as his experience at the court just wound up, he and I got together to hear a little bit more about what his experience was like there, and uh, to share some of it uh, with you as uh, he heads back to Canada for a new academic year and all of us continue to think about the institution that is the Israeli Supreme Court. So Matthew, first of all, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me here. And um, well, before we get into the court, tell us about you, you know, sort of how you ended up in, in Israel's Supreme Court. <laughs> for sure. So there's already a little bit of an introduction, but I'm a student from Toronto. I'm at the University of Toronto and I'm studying for uh, a combined law school and MBA program. So even that is uh, you know, usually more business focused rather than ending up at a, at a court dealing with uh, sort of constitutional type matters. So um, I definitely you know, have, have answered this question a couple of times of how exactly I ended up here. Um, so in fact, I've always been involved and interested in, um, in Israel and Israeli politics. Uh, coming here, luckily, several times with my family, several times on school programs, uh, growing up in Jewish school. Um, but I never actually worked here before. Um, and after the last Israeli election, which I had followed closely, I was sort of just curious for ways to, to get involved um, from an academic perspective and from a professional for perspective. So I started looking around online, seeing if there were any professors that I could maybe do some research for, write up a paper, just something to, uh, you know, take all this uh, reading that I had done about the election and turn it into something useful. And um, after a, a little bit of time looking around online, I realized that uh, I came across sort of this weird PDF online uh, on the Supreme Court's website, not particularly well advertised, um, that they take foreign law students. Um, there weren't really any uh, restrictions. They'll take students from Canada, from the US, from Europe, um, anyone that's finished their second year of law school or more. Uh, and really anyone that's just interested in, in learning about the uh, the legal system here. So um, that sounded like something that I was incredibly interested in um, and an incredible opportunity. So I put together some application materials and I spoke to a few of the previous clerks and sort of sent my application into a bureaucratic black hole that I didn't hear back from uh, for, for a little while. But eventually I, I heard back from them. They told me a little bit more about the uh, about this program. 
and uh, I was hooked right away. I the, the more I heard about it, the more I was interested, uh, the more I thought that it would just be a perfect opportunity for me to get involved at such a, a unique time um, in Israeli history and Israeli legal history. And um, after a few interviews and conversations, I uh, I was offered this this role here and accepted it. And um, you know that that was a few months ago, and it's truly been uh, just the most incredible experience. So we'll get more into it. But so, um, how long is the program? Uh, it's anywhere between three and six months. Uh, so I chose to come here for three months as sort of a summer intern in between two academic years. But some students have have come for longer in the past. And how many foreign? Each clerk, each justice has two clerks, right? Typically. Two, sometimes three. So there's fifteen justices. So there's typically thirty Israeli or maybe 30 to 40 Israeli clerks. Yeah. And how many foreign clerks are there at the same time? Um, so for the for most of the summer, I was the only one. So uh, I was there with all Israelis. Um, I was the first foreign clerk that they had uh, brought in since before COVID. So it had sort of been a, a generation or a couple generations in terms of uh, clerk years um, that since they'd had a, a foreign clerk. Um, this year, they're up to four. So another Canadian clerk started a few weeks ago. Um, I think that uh, two more Americans are starting in the fall. But when this program was sort of at its largest um, in the years before COVID, they would have between 10 and 20 per year. Um, so sometimes up to 10 at a time during the summer um, and then a few more during the fall, during the spring. Um, so they had to stop, of course, during COVID and they're sort of getting it back on its feet. And I think the aim is to have about 10 clerks next year. And the clerks, just like the Israelis, are assigned to a particular justice? Yeah, exactly. And are they assigned to justices that typically work in areas that need research in languages that are not Hebrew? Yeah, exactly. So they, um, the opportunity or the the uh, the ability to take on a, a foreign intern, foreign clerk, is uh, available to all the justices. Um, usually, it's it's a few particular justices that take it on. Justices that are interested in um, or that specialize in areas of the law, like um, private international law. Um, international trade, things like that, where there's a lot of opportunities for international sources. Also, any judges that are interested in comparative law. So that's really been a focus of mine is looking at Canadian law, American law, uh, British, European, Australian, and comparing it to Israeli law um, in a number of different regards. So whether it's private law, constitutional law, uh, criminal law. So the ju judges that um, that use more of that in their uh, in their work in their judgments are typically the ones that, who are the most interested in um, in sort of taking on students and clerks from this program. So, what was a week at the court for you particularly like? So it was you know, really every week was was different, um, which was one of the great things about this program. It depended on what was going on with my team, with the court in general. Um, they did an absolutely incredible job of incorporating me with with the rest of the uh, with the rest of the interns with the with the judges team in general so oftentimes i'd be working on um sort of medium term research projects so there would be either a case or um or something that that one of the uh, that the judge or one of his staff was interested in um and they would ask me sort of an open-ended question about how um you know how do other countries treat you know such and such issue or you know i'm aware of this case in this country but are there any other cases like it in, in other countries or within that country so I would do research on that. There'd be lots of conversations with the senior clerks, with the judge himself, um, with the other interns. We'd you know, go back and forth with ideas. Sometimes I'd be working on these projects on my own. Sometimes it would be in conjunction with one or two of the other, uh, with the other clerks that were with my judge. So that took up a lot of time, just doing research, um, discussing ideas, putting them into writing, revising things. Um, so that was a big part of, of my time there. Um, and another thing that was really interesting, and you know, it being the Supreme Court, we... Um, you know, we're, we're very involved in um, 
you know, different aspects of Israeli legal life. So sometimes we do, you know, little field trips, I guess, um, to uh, to different places to, to hear speakers, to go to conferences, um, to hear, uh, you know, to, to learn about Israeli legal history, about Israeli history in general. And I was always included on those um, types of tours. So we did a tour of, of the old city, uh, which was fascinating with some of the judges, with, um, with, some of the other clerks and this was related uh, to work that they were doing it wasn't just a field trip right it was related to a case of some sort um you know th that tour for example wasn't related to a specific case that we were working on at the moment but it was sort of a unique tour we were trying to get a, a different perspective on on the old city um and so we did this tour um you know it was a small group with a, a, a fantastic guide um and we got to ask a lot of questions it was really great you know even in context like that just to see how a justice's mind works how they take in information how they relate it to things that they're working on so we did things like that we would um we you know met with um with figures in in the police in the military um in the prison service people that are related to um to the legal system in different ways and um and, and just sort of got to see how they interact with the court and how they interact with the uh, with the justice system not a typical tourist look at israel <laughs> very very different than uh, than any time i've been here so um there's a lot of clerks. There's between, let's say, 30 and 40 Israeli clerks. Most of them, I assume, are graduates of law school. And then this particular time, there was you. Um, the clerks come from all sorts of backgrounds. And then there's, you know, a Canadian person in addition. Um, tell us something about the heterogeneity of the clerks, the relationship between them, the relationship between them and you. What was it like to be part of this group? What did you pick up about them? For sure. And you know, this is one of my biggest takeaways from, from my time here, both on a personal and professional level um, because I, I think it would come as no surprise to listeners of, of a podcast like this that one of the criticisms of the Supreme Court is that it's uh, a homogenous group that it, it perpetuates you know certain mindsets and certain backgrounds um, that it reproduces itself that it reproduces itself and you know it's it's of course an interesting question and, and deserves to be to be looked at but um, I was really floored and and consistently surprised and and impressed um, by by the uh, the diversity of the uh, of the clerkship group of the uh, of the students or former students that were there, you know of course I was the only international um, uh, legal clerk, but there were others that had grown up in the U.S. Uh, that were born in the U.S. and, and made aliyah here. There was the whole range of of uh, religious practice, so it wasn't just a you know secular Tel Aviv bastion. There was um, you know there of course there were some people like that there were there were um, Haredi and Dati uh, uh, clerks at the court there were actually Haredi clerks yep you know students that had uh, been to Haredi yeshivas um, you know of course uh, probably not um, representative of the entire spectrum of, of the well, they Haredi to, world they went to law school so right, by definition they, they're not the, but they're they're from the Haredi world and they still live in the Haredi world yes so there's certainly people like that there were lots of um, interns that, that wore kippahs or clerks and also senior clerks and of course justices that wear kippahs that wear uh, for women that wear head coverings um, it, it was uh, really an astonishing range of people also there were there were Arab clerks um, Arab um, senior clerks um, that we worked with um, and that we got along with fantastically, you know, some of my closest friends that were there. They're, you know, it's of course also not a homogeneously Ashkenazi background. There are Mizrahi justices, there are Mizrahi clerks. Um, it really covered, you know, if perhaps not in perfect representation to every segment of society, in a pretty close way, the, the, um, the diversity of Israeli society. And not only are all these people there, but we got along fantastically. You know, some of my closest friends um, 
from the summer that I was here uh, are from very different backgrounds than mine. Again, whether that's educationally, religiously, ethnically, you know, just the way they grew up, their perspectives on the world. It was just a, a really fascinating opportunity to work with a, a ton of different people. And um, not only did that contribute a lot to my development, but I think it's a, a really important part of an institution like that because, again, there's sound bites about how it perpetuates itself and that it's, um, uh, you know, not a not as diverse as it should be and that really wasn't my experience it was your experience looking at i know you didn't work with all of the justices obviously but looking at the justices and the 15 of them uh, you knew some better than others obviously and you saw some of the former justices i know because they continue to have offices at the court because my kids also clerked at the court so i know that that phenomenon as well so again without getting into details and you know a specific statistical analysis of the 15 did the justices themselves seem to you to be um, ethnically, religiously, and politically diverse? Yes, I think the, the simple answer is, is yes. Um, like you said, you know, I, I don't know if I could compare it exactly to different percentages in society and you know, different goals for the, for the court, for law school graduates and all things like that. But from a, a religious perspective, from an ethnic perspective, certainly from a um, you know, sort of philosophical perspective, um, there's a really wide range there. And um, I think that if once in a while... Um, you know, there are unanimous or near unanimous decisions. I don't think that that necessarily, you know, those are the ones that might generate headlines, but I don't think that that speaks to the, um, to the diversity of, of the people that are there, of the opinions that are there, of the experiences that are there. Um, and I was, you know, again, not only impressed by the, um, by the, the diversity itself, but also just walking around and, and being there for a few months, seeing how well everyone gets along, um, seeing the, the friendships that, um, you know, are maybe funny at first glance or that are surprising at first glance. But when you look a little bit deeper, um, you know, these are people that that um, that care about similar things, even if they're from from very different backgrounds and uh, seeing the way that these people relate with each other and um, build friendships and, and professional relationships, relationships with each other is uh, is really meaningful to, to witness. So the, the clerks built a kind of a network. How did that express itself at the court? I mean, aside from people saying hi in the hallways and working together on projects. and It was... It, really the only way to describe it was that it was really cute like it was a really you know nice and heartwarming community to see we um we all have you know oftentimes we'd all go sit for lunch together um you know there, there's a cafeteria at the court we'd all go down there at around the same time and sit you know bring a bunch of tables together and and all sit together i think yesterday uh, which was the last day of the term um we had over 20 people of the you know 30 ish uh, clerks that are there all sitting together having lunch together we took a really funny selfie from one end of the table all the way down um and so you know it's things like this every day um did you, know, you do this in hebrew by the way i didn't ask you that did you work in you worked i guess mostly in english but yeah. your conversations with them my conversations were were a mix um you know i went to a, a, a hebrew day school growing up uh so i speak a bit of hebrew but it's certainly not perfect um i would you know joke around with the other clerks that if we're sitting around at lunch and having sort of day-to-day -day conversations about sports or reality tv or you know other things like that I'd say I was between like 60 and 75% comprehension. Good. That's pretty good. I'd go into a hearing where they're talking about, you know, legal matters that I hardly understand in English. And that 75 would drop down to maybe like 20%, you know, a word here and there, a sentence here and there. Um, so my, my work and the professional things I did were, were all in English. But when you're sitting um, at the lunch table and taking selfies, it's mostly in Hebrew. Yeah, that part's in Hebrew. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll 
chime in in English and everyone of course almost everyone understands English at a pretty high level but you know the conversation flows in Hebrew and I can usually keep up um, but again that's because I, I you know made it clear to them that I'm comfortable in Hebrew and want to improve my Hebrew um, these are the kind of people that even if they didn't speak English at a high level they're so welcoming and smart and engaging that you know if they had clerks from other countries that didn't speak Hebrew I think they would make every effort to include them in English so um, that was sort of a unique part of my experience and I think knowing a bit of Hebrew contributed to my experience just because I was able to you know participate in more conversations and speak more um, comfortably with people that maybe didn't feel as comfortable in English um, but I think that that's not you know um, necessarily going to be the case with every international clerk that comes in. So there was this Kabbalat Shabbat tradition of some sort, which I'd never heard about before. I mean, as I as I told you privately before we spoke, uh, two of my kids and my daughter-in-law all clerked at the courts. I've been hearing Supreme Court stories for a very long time, but I'd never heard about this. So tell us a little bit about this phenomenon, which either did or did not exist when they were there. I don't even have any idea. Yeah, so I'm not sure how long it's it's been around for, but it was certainly running the, the whole time I was there. And, um, you know, we call it Kabbalat Shabbat, um, you know, because it's it's on Thursday Thursday <laughs> afternoons usually. So it's not exactly Kabbalat Shabbat and certainly not in a But you're closed in on a Friday, religious so it had to be on Thursday. Exactly. So it's sort of as close as we can get. And, um, you know, coupled with the diversity of, of this group, again, not everyone there is Jewish. Um, you know, of the people that are Jewish, it's certainly not a crowd that would necessarily, not all of them at least, would, would you know, be having Kabbalat Shabbat at home. Um but you know, not every Thursday, but you know, a few times per month, um, one of the justices' chambers, so the, the senior clerks, the um, the the assistants, and the um, the like intern clerks, uh, would put together a couple at Shabbat for all the other non-judge uh, staff that were there. So, which is like uh, what, hundred people, fifty people, maybe like fifty to. Not everyone's there every week, well, of course. but probably yeah. about 50 people, the 30 interns, all the um, the assistants, and then the senior clerks. It's probably 50 to 60 people. Um, and uh, they put together a, a sort of either a meal or a snack, usually with a theme and a funny email that gets sent around beforehand. So um, there was a wide range of sort of approaches here, some that were more like desserts, some that were more like brunch. One group that wanted to have a, you know, a real like Yiddish Shabbat, where they brought in shalant and challah. Um <laughs> For multiple people, it was their first time trying uh, trying chalent. Uh so you know, interesting to sort of see the look in their eyes uh, as they as they experience this. But it's really fun, and you know, it starts off usually with um, you know whether it's a, a dvar Torah or just a wrap up of the week or just a, a welcome to everybody. Um, and again, it's it's really nice to see the diversity there. Again, you go. From, and the Arab clerks came to this also. The Arab clerks are there. The uh, the the Haredi and Dati clerks. The the you know people that are. Like Chiloni, a hundred percent secular, secular, uh, secular Israelis from you know from Tel Aviv or other cities like that, um, and it's just really cute to see everyone together. And at the end, we you know we, we did a wrap up ceremony and we give out the uh, the good Shabbos award for the uh, the for the team that you know put together the the Kabbalat Shabbat that was you know the most fun and you know went uh, above and beyond in terms of getting food and preparing, um, and it was just a really nice tradition. Um, a really nice way to, to wrap up a week to see people that maybe you hadn't seen that week or those couple weeks. Um, and again, it, it shows how, you know, this is, it's not just a regular Supreme Court, right? It's it's the Israeli Supreme Court. And um, there's going to be, you know, Jewish elements that are infused in just in the culture and in people's relationships with each other. But at the same time, it's done in a way that is really approachable and accessible for people that you know, if if you want to make a Dvar Torah on uh, on the Parashat Shavua or something, you know that that's a little bit more in depth. 
you're free to do that. If you want to just, you know, tell a couple of jokes and talk about the week that was, you're free to do that and really everywhere in between. Um, and, you know, just participating in that and seeing people's perspectives on that was a really, uh, uh, a really unique and sort of at times heartwarming experience for, uh, for, you know, somebody that's coming from the outside. It was probably for sure the only Supreme Court in the world that has a, uh, a Kabbalat Shabbat tradition, I'm guessing. <laughs> Look, you were at the court at a very, very unique time in Israeli history. I mean, in terms of the Supreme Court itself, probably the most fraught period in history. I mean, we've had fraught periods around various wars. We've had fraught periods in other times. But those were not fraught periods in which the court was the center of attention in the way that it is now. And obviously, there's a tremendous amount that you can't speak about, and I totally understand that. But... In what way did this whole national, I mean, I think it's fair to say it's a crisis. I mean, in what way did this national crisis, which originated as a crisis about the Supreme Court, it's much bigger than that now, I think, but how did this whole thing filter down? Was it a cloud in the building? I mean, could you feel that this was a group of people, justices and senior clerks and junior clerks, everybody else sort of working under a sense that, my God, this whole institution is under discussion or under attack? Um, or did you not hear it from the justices, but clerks talked about it? I mean, how was it different than if you'd been here, I don't know, five years ago? For sure. And it's a really interesting question and um, really one of the, the biggest takeaways from my experience here. And again, one of the reasons why originally I, I wanted to come here, because this is not a situation that arises every day or even every decade. Or even um, every 75 years. Right, or even every 75 years. Um, from a legal perspective, from a political perspective, from a historical perspective, um, it, it's really unique. And um, again, without getting into the details of, of the politics of it and, and how it filters down to you know the, the specific work that we do, um, just being a part of that um, was a really unique opportunity for me and something that I wanted to You felt to, it to during the day? At. I mean, it was, um, it was in the air? So this was before I came. Uh, okay. Thinking that you know it would be the the defining feature of, of my time here and um, I, I think what I found the most interesting is is the times where you really feel it but also the times where you don't feel it at all and there were a lot of times like that too because um, again for people that are familiar with the with the Supreme Court here it's very different in terms of its structure and in terms of the uh, sort of hierarchy of the legal system than a Supreme Court in Canada or the United States that is very selective with the cases that it hears. But it's also a court of appeals. It's a court of appeal. Um, for a lot of cases that it hears, their appeal as of right. So rather than, um, you know, filing an application, um, the, the Supreme Court is to some degree obligated to hear a lot of these appeals. How so, many cases is it here a year? I've heard the numbers are outstanding. I can't remember anymore, but... So, you know, just for some comparison, the, the Supreme Court of Canada usually hears about 80 to 90 cases a year. The American Supreme Court, it's usually 90 to 100. Last year, the Israeli Supreme Court heard over 9,000 cases. Um, of course, some of these are really short. They're, you know, simple applications or um, things that are, you know, denied or accepted right away. Um, so not all of these are, you know, multi-page complex decisions but still it's and nine the bulk 000. of those i'm assuming are as a court of appeal not as a supreme court right right so a lot of those are as a court of appeal but a lot of those are also petitions that come in um to the supreme court and it's uh bagat's function which because is because everybody as a has standing court. anybody can submit a petition right not like in, i don't know about the canadian system but in the american system i think correct me if i'm wrong you have to be party to the case that's made its way up the chain. Exactly. And in Canada, there's, you know, certain doctrines that will open that up a little bit. But again, 80 to 90 cases a year is, is pretty typical. Um, here, uh, as again, anyone who's very familiar with the Supreme Court would know, there are um, there are NGOs and um, and bodies and, and individuals that 
um, that, that file lots of cases for human rights reasons, for political reasons. Um, so tons of petitions come in, tons of cases come in. So 9,000, some years there's over 10,000 cases per year. Um, at, a, at a certain point, um, you know, regardless of what's happening, even if there's you know, giant protests outside and, and security at every stage to get into the building, you come into work and you have to deal with, you know, dozens of cases that day. And again, as a, as a foreign clerk and as an intern, that's not necessarily my position, but it is the case for some of the uh, junior, for the other junior clerks, for some of the senior clerks. At a certain point, you have to put that out of your head and, and get down to business and, and, and deal with the work at hand. And so it, it's sometimes funny to you know, be sitting in a room like that where you can see the protesters outside, you can hear them outside, there's thousands of people out there, and you're dealing with really just day-to-day -day matters because, you know, everyone there is a professional, and at the end of the day, they, the, it sounds cliche, but the administration of justice, you know, doesn't care. Right, and um, the wheels of justice have to keep turning, so to speak. Exactly. Right? So, um, so everyone really just has to, to, to not necessarily block it out because that's impossible, but work has to get done and, and um, cases have to be heard and judgments have to be filed. And uh, it was really interesting to see how people were able to sort of compartmentalize and be professional about it. And I can't even imagine the situation for the justices that um, that are really in the, in the middle of all this, but um, continue and really in my experience, I didn't see a single instance in which uh, people's professionalism and, and demeanor and um, all of that was was shaken. They they had to come in and, and continue to work and continue to uh, preside over things professionally and with a level head. And, and in my experience, that was really what I saw all the time. Um, and again, there's different perspectives among the judges and different philosophies. And who knows what each individual um, among them thinks about different elements of the reform. But um, my experience was that they, they the judges, the senior clerks, the junior clerks, you know, to some degree myself, we came in and we, we dealt with the work at hand and um, continued with, with life and with work, uh, despite everything that's going on. Did the uh, experience of being here for the past three months change your perspective about the reform? I mean, it was already a thing before you got here. Mm -hmm. It was well underway. The protests were well underway. Now you've been here for about, what, three months or three so? Months. Right, yeah. you worked in the court very intensively. It's still going on. Uh, Knesset's theoretically on recess, so they seem to be doing a lot of things for a group that's on recess. It's this very weird group that's supposed to be on recess and is still working, and then when it's supposed to be working, acts very often like it's on recess. So I'm trying to figure <laughs> out how the Knesset actually defines recess, but it doesn't really matter. Um, does I mean, without getting into specifics, what you think has being here changed your view of the judicial reform thing? Has it made you more alarmed or less alarmed, more confident about this getting worked out, or any other possible shift? I don't know. Um, so again, without getting into the sort of unique... Um, politics of it because um, again you know the, to some degree those are uh, th there's personal aspects of it there's professional aspects of it um, I, I would say that one thing that, that I come away from uh, from all of this with is a confidence in the people that are that are involved in this process on the legal side because those are the people that I worked with those are the people that I um, that I had exposure to and those are the conversations that I had um, I, I come away from this I, I guess and again, this is, you described it as a crisis, and I think that that's a fair description. I'm very confident in the people that I that I worked with. Um, and again, my perspective doesn't really go beyond that because, you know, I'm not, uh, Hebrew language media is a little bit over my head. Um, and of course, the political elements of this are, are outside of my area of expertise. Um, but I, I go back to, Can I'm going back to Canada in, in a couple days, and I, I'm going back with, incredible amount of confidence in the people that are at the Supreme Court. 
um, their ability again from the judges down to the down to the uh, interns and really all the other people that are involved in in um, you know making the wheels turn there. Um, I'm incredibly confident that these are smart, well-intentioned, hard-working people um, that regardless of how this process ends, they their commitment to professionalism, to uh, objectiveness, um, to working hard, to, to really being servants and, and stewards for this country, um, I, I go back with even more confidence in, in these people from a personal and, and a professional sense. That part makes me that, that part makes me uh, hopeful and confident. And um, again, I, I also leave thinking that, um, you know, a lot of what, what happens surrounding it is um, is maybe not necessarily grounded in in, um, in the reality of day-to-day life there. There's, um, again, I think sound bites about how the, the Supreme Court is, is a, a secular Ashkenazi, um, you know, incredibly liberal bastion. And I think it's worth looking into why people feel like that. But at the same time, um, I, I leave here knowing that the reality is it's a diverse group from, uh, again, uh, ethnic, religious, uh, philosophical, uh, political um, perspective. And um, I, I will go back home knowing that, um, you know, headlines and sound bites aren't always to be trusted and that, um, you know, digging a little bit deeper and learning about an institution, again, whether it's by going there and experiencing it firsthand or just reading about it, talking to people, um, uh, getting beyond those headlines uh, can, can really give a, a much better and more holistic perspective on, uh, on how things happen and how things function and uh, what the reality is. So that's actually fascinating to me in terms of how a person you know, spends three months in your particular case at the court and leaves very confident in its professionalism and the, and the devotion of the people that work there regardless of their background. That's just as a kind of a wrapping up. I ask you a question about, about Israel in general. In other words, you've been here a bunch of times, I don't know how many times, but you know, typical North American young person growing up in the Jewish community very often makes their way here a few times during the course of their years of growing up. Uh, but this is obviously very different than, you know, um, the typical, you know, bar mitzvah trip or the typical whatever. Um, I just watched this week, you know, you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah, so I can't actually just get that whole thing out of my head a little bit, right? This is a very different look at, at Israel. And so leaving aside the court altogether, just putting the court completely aside, you as a person who's grown up in the Canadian, the Torontonian Jewish community, involved, day school education, um, you can get on the plane in a couple of days, fly back to Toronto to go back to another academic year, law school. What do you leave feeling about Israeli society and about Israel as a state. What's changed for you? Um, as you, the plane takes off and you look out the window at the Tel Aviv skyline, um, if you got a window seat, and uh, you know, you're looking at okay, that country down there, I think about it now in way X, whereas before I'd been here this summer, I thought about it in a way that was perhaps different. Any, any sense of Israel that's changed because of your time here at this time? For sure. And it's a uh... Uh, certainly an emotional and, and loaded question um, as I'm about to leave because uh, really there, there's so much that a question like that makes me reflect on about my time here and my experiences here and, and the people I've met. Um, and so other than the fact that, you know, embarrassingly, I, I, there, there might be a tear or two on the plane as I, you know, look out of that window. Or, I don't think or, there's anything to be or, embarrassed about or maybe, all, actually. I, uh, <laughs> or, I live, I've been here for 25 years. <laughs> I would say for the first 15, I got teary-eyed every single time I flew in and out. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, or, you know, again, I, I think I'm on the aisle. So, you know, I'll be oh. looking, looking over a few people trying to get that, uh, that, that view of the Tel Aviv skyline. Um, but 
it, it really has changed my perspective. And I guess as a little bit of background, I'll, I'll start off by um, by saying I think, uh, and you know, it's it's a complex question, but I think um, Jewish organizations and Jewish education um, sometimes you know fall into this trap of only portraying the the best things about Israel. And there's a lot of great things about this country. And you know, of course, I you know we sit here. In, in Jerusalem and at the end of a summer that I've spent here and I'm as, as Zionist as ever but um, it's not a perfect place and there's political crises there's um, you know there's there's day-to-day issues um, it's a it's a nuanced and complicated place and so first I would want to say that um, I, I was really lucky both at home and in my Jewish education and, and with the community that I've been surrounded with to be given a, a really in-depth um, perspective on, on what this country's like. Um, you know, at, at CHAT, the uh, the Community Hebrew Academy of Toronto, which is where I went for high school, we um, we had classes on Israeli society. Um, and again, these were classes that were that were complex, that were probably above a you know grade eleven or twelve level in, in all honesty, but um, but gave us a really unique perspective on this country. Again, the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and so I, I came into this experience knowing that this isn't uh you know necessarily a perfect place. Um, but is a is a complicated and uh, it's it's a real place filled with real people that have you know their their upsides and their downsides, um, and and I would say that that is the, the perspective or the um, takeaway that I get from this summer, from working here, from you know from being surrounded by Israelis around my age all day every day, is um is that this is a, a complicated place, and the more you learn about its nuances, really the more you learn to care about it. Um, you know, just seeing the highlights, you know, coming here, whether it's once or twice on a bar mitzvah trip or a taglit trip, which are incredible experiences. And, you know, anyone who hasn't done it, I'd recommend it. But, um, you know, the, the more you come here and the more you learn about um, the, the challenges here, the the lived experiences here, whether it's just little things, you know, the, the traffic jams in Tel Aviv, the, um, you know, the, the political crisis, the, um, you know, people's stories about the uh, the fantastic things or the, um, you know, just day-to-day boring things that they did in the army. Um, you know, hearing those those perspectives and those experiences and, and turning this from a, a country that you sort of read about a little bit or that you see on TV or that you see through the window of a tour bus, um, but into a real place. Um, again, I think some people are maybe scared of, or maybe scared is the wrong word, but I think people are maybe hesitant to... Um, to cloud that perfect picture in their mind um but my takeaway is that sort of getting your hands dirty a little bit and working here and living here and uh seeing you know different perspectives and people that have different opinions about this you know the 75 year old zionist project or even longer um it it makes you care more deeply about the place and more deeply about its people um Again, don't be afraid to uh, to have a, a more challenging relationship with this country because a more challenging relationship ends up being a, at least in this sense, you know, I, I don't want to speak for all relationships, but in the case of, of Zionism, I think it leads to a much more um, powerful and um, honest and uh, really Zionist relationship. So uh, it, it's been a, just incredible experience that I've had here. And uh, anyone that has an opportunity like this, I'd encourage you to to take it up. That's a very powerful way to end. Uh, the notion that the complexity here is um, actually deepens the relationship. And you're right. I think many people abroad and in Israel are afraid of trying to sell a complex relationship and want to try to sell some prettied view. 
that leads to thinness. It, it leads to something that's not really very real. Most things in life that are powerful are complex. Uh, and that's true with this too. So um, it's important for us to hear that from someone like you who's had this particular experience. Uh, wish you all the best in the upcoming academic year. A safe trip home. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your time and your thoughts with us before you depart. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.